Hey, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Public Planter Publishing Podcast. My name is J.K. Fowler. Today we're going to be talking about creating literary readings. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about why I think they're important, um, especially if you're a new publisher just starting out, why they're important to building the, the literary ecosystem that you're looking to, to help support and help build. Um, and then I'm going to go into some of the details on some of the structures that we used at Nomadic Press that I think would be really useful um, or would have been really useful when we were first starting uh, because the the number of minutes per readers, the payment structure, the format of the reading, all of that stuff can be a little bit overwhelming when you're just first starting. So we're going to go into that a little bit. And then I'm going to show you some organizing tools uh, that we use, specifically a Google form that we use to collect reader information that was really helpful. So let's just dive right into it. Um, <clears throat> first, I think it's important to talk about why. You know, we talked a little bit about this in episode two and episode one, both of which were just foundational episodes. This is sort of a foundational episode two. Um, it's important that I think I say it's 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 not necessary for you to be a publisher in order to to host a literary reading. There's a lot of examples of people hosting readings. They do a great job. They're not publishers. But I'm going to speak specifically about why I think it's important for you as a publisher, as a as a budding publisher, to create your own literary event. The first is I think it enables it gives you a vehicle to meet a lot of new writers. And especially if you haven't published any books yet and you're trying to get a sense of what the community has to offer, what sort of writers are in the community, this gives you an opportunity to meet a lot of writers, um, get to know how they interact with the audience. And so you can keep your eye out for writers that resonate with you, that resonate with your project, that you want to work more with. And you can even invite them to, to multiple readings to kind of get a, a deeper sense of who they are and what the writing is about and how they approach the craft as well as as well as community. The second is that if you've already published some books, you know, this is a great way to plug your readers, plug your authors in as readers on these events. Um, so let's say you just published a book, you know, it's great if you already have a reading series in place or a couple of reading series in place, you can start to plug your authors in and you can get them exposure, you can get their new books exposure, um, you can connect them with other readers and writers and audience members. And it's just a great tool for getting the word out about the book, getting the word out about your author, and having people experience their writing that you love because obviously you published their book, so you wanna share that with people. Um, another really important aspect is that if you're a publisher and you're doing a lot of public programming, it sort of takes you off the page and into the stage and it shows people rather than you just telling them that you are actually about community and you know what that community looks like how it feels how it's experienced by everyone in the in the community is a really important indicator of what your what types of books you're going to publish how you're going to approach the publishing um, the publishing project it's gonna give people a good idea about who you are as a person and an organizer. So again, it's a really good communication tool that's going to communicate how you're gonna approach this project as a whole. And I think it 
it really helps build community in a really beautiful way in the ways in which you you want to do it. Readings and reading series are also really great opportunities for collaborations. So in the last episode around weaving the literary ecosystem, we talked a lot about partnering with local orgs, um, other nonprofits, other publishers, small businesses. All of this is relationship-based, right? And so it's really important that you keep that in mind that central to the building is relationship. And I think the biggest missteps that I've made as an organizer is when it tends to be when I get really busy and I'm, and I'm overworked because I have other jobs and this is not the only thing I'm doing, um, that I slip into what is so often supported in the culture in the United States, which is sort of a, a capitalistic uh, transactional mindset, right? Which has always had a tendency to break or rip at relationships doesn't quite break them because we normally have more, you know, experience together in the bank. So um, it doesn't break it like that. But that sort of transactional approach, which is all too common, does wear at relationships. And if it's continued over time, it has a tendency to break down relationships. So in those moments, as hard as it is, sometimes I have to keep reminding myself I need to slow down. I need to reconnect firstly with myself, center in myself. And doing that is going to enable me to connect with others in a way that that feels relational and not transactional. So easier said than done oftentimes, but super important, especially as you start to get busier and busier as a cultural events producer. It's important to center relationship as much as you as much as you can and and watch those tendencies for, you know, the the prevalent um, worldviews in your surroundings to sneak in. Uh, so those are all really good reasons to start a literary reading. It's also just fun. It's great to, to invite people into your space. Um, it's great to invite them into your home and welcome them and make people feel like they've been transported. Uh, those, are, those are all really positive aspects as well. So it, it's all tied together. I want to talk a little bit about the, the structure. And so we'll go into some of the specifics. Um, and there's three major types of events that I want to talk about today. Uh, the first is what I'm going to call a standard feature event. So standard feature event, let's say five writers. You're going to give each of those writers seven minutes to read. And that'll give you about 35 minutes of, of readings. I would highly suggest inviting music. You can substitute dance for music. Some other type of um, creative performance is a great way of opening and closing your reading. Especially with music, I always found that giving people 10 minutes at the beginning of a reading to sort of shake off what they carried with them into the space from the outside they get to collectively transition into the space together, into the space of listening to poetry, fiction, you know, whatever type of readings you're going to be having. And it sort of grounds everyone in the same space. And then once the readings start, everyone gets to sort of enter into that journey in a similar, in a similar space. 
obviously there's still going to be stuff left over from outside, especially if we've just gone through something really difficult. But all in all, it does have a tendency to ground folks and bring them into the same space in order to have, you know, a similar experience with, with the reading. So the music, I would always recommend doing two sets, one to open, one to close, each set being about 10 minutes. And 10 minutes depends on the song, of course, and the musician, but 10 minutes is about two to three songs. So when you're booking your musicians, they're always going to want to know, you know, what amount of time they have for their sets. Tell them two sets of 10 minutes each. That's about two to three songs per set. And 99% of the time when I've given musicians that information, they're super grateful and we're, we're good to go. The only other thing that's going to come up often with musicians is what equipment you have. So having an equipment list is really helpful. It's okay if you don't have equipment yet. I know when we first started, I think I had a mic and an amp, and that was about it. Um, but musicians do tend to have equipment that they need in order to play. So you can usually meet halfway, and then as you get going, you can buy more equipment so that musicians don't have to bring as much um, with them to the, to the performance. So two sets of music at 10 minutes each, that's 20 minutes. So we're up to 55 minutes of programming. Then with an intro and the transitions between the readers, bios, if you're gonna read bios, you're looking at, you know, all told about an hour and 15 minutes. So an hour and 15 minutes is a great amount of time. I would say the sweet spot for readings is 90 minutes. So 70, I would say 75 to 90 minutes is a sweet spot for, for a reading. You're gonna keep the, the audience engaged. You're gonna keep the readers interested. The musician's not gonna have a huge amount of time in between. Um, so I would highly recommend you sort of shoot for that 90 minutes. So if you have more writers or you have less writers, you can of course adjust their, their reading times to hit that, that 90 minute mark. What I would really, really suggest you try to avoid is the three hour readings. Even a two hour reading is really stretching it. We used to have, you know, very, very occasionally we had uh, three hour readings and that was because we were releasing 10 books at, at a time. And so we had readings from each of the new, the new authors. But, you know, in, that, in those instances, people do stay engaged, but it's, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot to ask of readers. It's a lot to ask of the musicians. It's a lot to ask of your audience members. And so I think one huge suggestion I have um, is be organized and be professional, right? Everyone has other lives. Although they love poetry and writing, they're not in it for the money, of course, but everyone has other lives and they have other things they need to do. They have families, they have jobs, they need to get home. So be respectful of your performer's time and be respectful of your audience member's time uh, because we don't have a lot of it. So try to keep your shows as tight as possible. Um, that includes time limits for your writers. So if in the case of the standard event, you're giving your writers seven minutes each, make sure that you drive home to them that they have seven minutes, that they're not to go over. They will go over inevitably, but 
what I would recommend is in the beginning, especially when you're first starting to get your feet under you as an event organizer um, for literary readings, keep your readers to their, their time limits. If someone goes over by you know a minute or two, that's fine. If they start to go into 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, there's ways that you can gently move them off the stage in order for the other performers to come on. Um, it's really, I find it really disrespectful, you know, when re readers will go on and on and on, even though they've been asked. Um, I find it disrespectful to the organizers, to the audience members, to the other readers who are trying to keep to time. Uh, make sure that when you're organizing and getting people to sign up, you sort of know who you're inviting, right? So a lot of the same people are known for going over. Um, if you're going to book that person, really, really drive home the importance of them staying to time. And if they don't, de develop a, a gentle way of, of moving them off the stage. And I'll go into that a little bit um, next episode when I bring on some event organizers. And I'll ask them which what ways they use to um, gently move people off the mic. And sometimes it's not so gentle, but it's important to get them off. The second type of reading that I wanted to talk about is the one that we actually first started with when we moved to Oakland, and I call it a heavy feature. Uh, the heavy feature has two feature writers, and each of the writers are given 30 minutes uh, for their sets, uh, which is a huge amount of time. Now, this is a, it's, it, it is a very, very long time um, to give to a writer. But one of the most beautiful things that I saw come out of doing that, especially in the beginning as we were starting to get to know our communities, it was a signal to them that we valued their work, that we wanted to give them the space to really connect with the audience. Oftentimes they dipped into writing that they had not yet read or that they were currently working on. Um, so there was a beautiful unfolding of vulnerability in the space. Uh, that the audience really that really resonated with the audience, and it creates a sense of intimacy because when you sit with someone for thirty minutes, there's a lot of banter in between the pieces sometimes, and so you get to know the writer as a person. You get to see them as three dimensional. It takes a bit of the pressure of the quick performance out, and especially if you curate the space to feel like a living room or feel like a home. Um, it creates this, this, this environment of intimacy that welcomes vulnerability and connection. And I can't tell you how many times we experienced that in our small salon space in Oakland. And a lot of that had to do with the space too. So when you think about you know, the spaces that you bring your your folks into, your performers into, if it's your home or your office, obviously you have a lot more control over the environment. If you are in a small business, there are things that you can bring to sort of carve out a momentary living room feel, even if it's in a, a more cold kind of industrial space. There's things that you can do to bring in um, things that soften the space and make people feel welcome and at home. 
So a few tips that I have around that, and we'll have a whole episode on, on space making. And it may sound silly, but bring in cut flowers. Bring in cut flowers. You can have one or two bunches of them right at the front. Um, people see those. They appreciate them. Makes them feel, you know, at home. And there's there's a comfort that comes with cut flowers. The, the other is wood, right? So especially if you're in your home or you're in your office, pay attention to the, the furniture that you have. Pay attention to how you've created the space that invites people into softness, into softness, into soft space. Again, that, that feeling of intimacy and vulnerability is really important. So invite people in, make them feel welcome with those soft chairs, you know, couches. Of course, if you can put books or some sort of paper materials, posters, anything on the walls to soften the soften the feel of the space, but also soften the the sound. Right? Um, sound is another really important piece. You want an amp that you know projects people's voices, but doesn't destroy people's um, eardrums. You want to find a balance with the sound so that the sound is is intimate. In our small space that we had, uh, we were actually able to go micless. And so if you're in a space that's small enough, you can go micless. And that's a great way of um, making it even more personal because these technologies do tend to, to get in between us a little bit. Um, Give me one second, I'll be right back. I have to change something here. All right, sorry about that. It started pouring rain outside, so I had to move some things. So soften the space if you can. Um, to invite people in, make them feel welcome, make them feel at home. Of course, food and drink is going to do that as well. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about the, the space um, creation. Um, the third type of reading that I wanted to talk about is the monthly recurring meeting. Uh, reading, sorry. The monthly recurring reading, um, the example that I have from Nomadic Press is Get Lit. Right, so Get Lit was our monthly reading. It was instrumental in us getting to know a lot of the folks from the community. It enabled us to hear a ton of readers and writers um, through the course of that event. And a lot of our writers actually came out of, of listening to them read at, at Get Lit. It was also, like I said earlier, a really great way of plugging the books that we had coming out. So a lot of the books that we had published um, just recently, those readers would get plugged into that monthly reading, and it was a great way of folks, you know, hearing pieces from that those new books. And we would, of course, have the books for sale there at the events. But the the structure of that event is twelve to fifteen writers, and each of them are given three minutes to read. Um, that particular reading is brand new material, never before read. We call it you know, new shit. So 
new work that no one has ever heard before. So at 12 to 15 writers at three minutes each, you're looking at 36 to 45 minutes. Then again, the music comes in 10, 10 minutes um, to open, 10 minutes to close. That's two to three songs to open, two to three songs to close. And with the overages and you know some of the, the banter and stuff, you're looking at roughly 90 minutes for that monthly reading. So again, that's a lot of readers, right? That's 12 to 15 readers reading three minutes of material. So it's quick. But what's really cool about that particular format is it invites a vulnerability because people have never read the work before. Oftentimes we've had uh, writers just finishing their pieces right as they're about to go up to the mic. So there's a sort of rush to, to finish your piece. And years, like months or years down the road, you'll see those pieces be picked back up or they suddenly find their way into a, a book or a publication. Um, so pushing the writers to create this new material comes out later in these really beautiful ways too. And those might be books that you publish. They might be books that, that other folks publish as well. All right, so as part of being organized and um, you know, being respectful of people's time, it's really important to use tools when you can to, to be organized and help yourself be organized. 12 to 15 writers is a lot of writers and it's a lot of bios and it's a lot of information to collect. So one of the tools that we used regularly was Google Forms. You don't need, you know, a ton of equipment for it. You can do it on your phone if you want to, but all you need is a Google account and access to Google Drive. And I'm actually gonna show you um, how we structured it. And I'm gonna share this link in the comments. If you're on YouTube, you can click the link to see a sample and, and use these questions for your, your own purposes. If you're on Instagram, go to YouTube, subscribe to the channel, check out the comments. Um, just give me one second to, to share my screen here. All right. So here we are. So this is the this is the um, the Google form that we used for Gitlet. At the top here, and I need to put my glasses on. Um, it's just a general introduction to the the reading. It talks about that it's twelve to fifteen writers reading brand new material. Um, tells folks how long it takes to to finish it. You know, only five minutes to fill out. Everyone's busy, so they don't want to you know, be bothered with some huge form. Just let them know it's super quick. You'll wanna share the arrival and sign on time. So we generally said 10 minutes before the start of show. You might wanna say 15 minutes. Everyone is late. Um, that's just how it is. Uh, by the way, if you're on Instagram and I'm referencing the spreadsheet, you're like, what the hell, I can't see anything. Go to YouTube and you'll, you'll be able to see it. 
Um, the links are also going to be below the, the video after I finish. Um, you're going to put the location. This was Zoom for us because uh, at this time, 2022, we were still using Zoom for our, our uh, monthly Get Lit show. Um, but you can also put short links there with um, short links with um, to Google Maps. So it's a quick quick way of them getting to the location. The performance time for the writers, so you're going to want to put this in the email as well, but just remind them that they have three minutes of brand new, you know, never before read material. Please time this out at home prior to the show out of respect for the number of performers we have in a given night and the need to keep the show tight. You're going to have to drive this home again and again. Um, folks don't always, you know, keep to time, but you're, you can do what you can. Performance time and AV for musicians. Again, just tell them uh, that they are preparing two sets of two to three songs per set. Um, it says six to eight minutes here, but you can give them 10. 10 generally works really well. And then this is a, our safe space process, which we'll talk about in a later episode. Um, safe space process, brave space process, heart space process. We, it changed names as we, as we went along, but um, we'll talk more about that later. And then we, since we are starting to do programming in, in Mexico, we have it in, in Spanish as well. If you're in a place that has um, the prevalence of another language, definitely would recommend putting it in another language and offering that translation there. Then the first question you want, which is really important for the poster and the promo materials, is the full name that you would like to appear on the poster. For us, this was Get Lit, but you can put your your reading name there. Um, this is really important because it puts the the ball in the the performer's court. Um, in the very beginning, we did mess up on on names because sometimes their email name or their name on Facebook is going to be different than their performance name. So it's just much easier to ask them directly and get them to give you the name that they prefer. The second question is tied to that, but it's if people have previously mispronounced your name, kindly provide a phonetic spelling below, and then we'll also try to check, check that with you at the reading. This one is super important, um, especially for MCs. Just keep in mind, for a show this big in particular, they're dealing with 12 to 15 writers. Um, there's a wide variety of names with a wide variety of pronunciations. Whatever you can do to make it easier on your MC, the better it's going to be and the less mistakes are going to be made. So ask the, ask the performers to, to provide a phonetic spelling. And then have the MC double check it with them at the reading itself. What we did for, for Get Lit is that we would put the dates of the performances. Um, we would put all 12 for the year up. And this enabled us to book out months ahead. So we could work on getting uh, writers that we know had really busy schedules or that were going to be in town in a few months. We could get them booked uh, way ahead of time. And that was really helpful for them and for us and for the artists involved who are doing the posters. So I would highly recommend you creating you know, your calendar of events for the recurring reading 
and you can list them all here and they just select the reading that they're that they're going to be reading it on the date the date is um it's really important that if you're going to have a monthly recurring event that you uh, choose a the same day of every month so for get lit it was every third tuesday of the month it helps a ton in promo you can put on your posters the authors and readers they start to get you know the gist and will help spread the word ah today's you know the third tuesday of the month let's go check out get lit that ended up happening a lot um, as we as we went along so same day of the month third tuesday third thursday first friday like whatever it is uh, make it recurring make it the same day of the month every month that's really helpful for for promo as you're choosing that recurring day of the month uh, be sure you just do a quick scan of other events that are on that same day um, you want to try to avoid if possible double booking a recurring event on a day that already has a recurring event oftentimes you're going to have different audience uh, members but you you want to avoid the situation where an audience member is having to choose every month which show they want to go to because they want to go to both so just doing a quick scan talking to other organizers helps you avoid some of those conflicts the next is pronouns um again really for the mc it's really helpful they're going to be bantering they're going to be um talking a little bit about each of the writers usually so give them the pronouns ahead of time so that they can be sure to use the correct pronouns phone numbers and email addresses so phone number is great you know connect ahead of time give them your phone number you take theirs and let them know that if anything comes up, they can just give you a quick call, quick text to let you know that they're running behind, you know, the subway's not working or family emergency happened. You just want to be able to contact them quickly. Email address is always great, of course, to send out the link to this form. Um, but you're also going to want to do a follow-up right before the show to remind everybody three minutes, you know, be sure to be there 15 minutes ahead of time, 10 minutes ahead of time, whatever it is you decide. The headshot is great because this puts, again, this puts that into the writer's hands. Um, there were times in the beginning where we had performers that had the same name. And there was one instance, at least, that I can think of where we just had to pull an image off the web but it ended up being another writer who had the same name. And especially as you start to work with folks you may not know at all, or you may not know well, it's important that you get them to send you an image that they like um, so that you can use that in the promo for the, for the event. Um, you can also get websites and other promo URLs, and then of course, get their Instagram handle, handle Twitter handle, Venmo handle, the Venmo handle is really great because it gives folks a direct way of supporting the authors. When this was in person, we used this and we would post it ahead of time in the promo materials on social media. Um, but especially when we were on, uh, in virtual land on Zoom, this was a way that folks could like virtually pass the hat and donate money to each of the performers. 
So getting the Venmo handle or Cash App handle is really important. At the end, this is just a, a way that folks can acknowledge that they've read the safe space process. Um, again, we'll talk more about that and you can decide if that's something that you want to create for your spaces. Uh, but this just enables them to click that and say, I have read it. And then it also allows you to say, you know, we're going to need you to, to leave if that process is not followed during the course of the event and, you know, you're starting to encounter issues. We only had to do that once, but having them have read this statement ahead of time was, was really helpful because we were able to reference that and they knew what we were talking about. And then at the end, just ask if, you know, folks have any additional questions and, and that's it. So the beauty about this format, this tool, is that you get these responses that then actually go into um, a spreadsheet. And I'll show you the spreadsheet in, in just a second. Um, but let me actually just, I'll switch over to that spreadsheet right now. One second. So when they fill out the form, um, their responses are gonna come in. They're all gonna be organized in the order of the, the questions asked on the form itself. If you change the, the order of the questions on the form, it usually will change here as well. So you don't have to worry about that. The beauty of this is that you can share it, right? So you can share this with, if you have a, an artist or you have someone who's helping you with communications. Realized I wasn't showing it this entire time. Sorry about that. Um, you can share this with artists or communications folks who are doing your social media and you can add them to these forms and then you can actually set up uh, notifications that they're right here. So you would set up a, a notification that would tell you every time um, something had changed on this form. So when we were doing the Get Lit, um, Get Lit shows, our artist who was doing the posters would have access to this. The, our communications manager would have access to this. And so the communications manager could go and pull the headshots. He would also have the website and other promo material He'd have their Instagram handles, Twitter handles, and Venmo handles. And he could put all of this into social media to help promote the upcoming reading and the authors themselves. The artist would have access to this. And when it was filled out and fully done, we would inform the artist. He would go in and as he was finished, he would highlight the the um, rows in green to let us know that he'd incorporated those into the poster. And then when the reading had passed, we would change these to red to let ourselves know that these are past readers. And then the green ones or the ones without highlighting would be the ones for the, the, upcoming, the upcoming reading. So again, these are all tools that you can use to help organize readings of five readers, 12 to 15 readers,
if you're doing a festival, which we'll talk about later, you know, you can use it for festivals as well. Um, so I would highly recommend you using um, some form some form of organization. If, if Google Forms doesn't work for you and you hate spreadsheets, then use a piece of paper. But I have to say that once we figured this particular tool out, we used it for all of our readings. And it just became so much easier to organize a large number of readers and writers because especially if you keep going with this stuff, you're gonna be organizing three, four, five readings at, at the same time. And so you have to find tools that help you keep track of, of all of these people and where they're going and what show they're being, what show they're connected to. It can become, you know, pretty, pretty confusing. Um, the next episode we're going to talk about. I'm going to bring in some event organizers, like I said, and I want them to share a little bit about how they organize their readings. Um, I want them to also share some thoughts about how to get people off the mics if they're not if they're not getting off. Um, but I also wanted to ask them how they structure their readings because there might be some some different ways that they structure it that might be interesting to all of you. Just keep in mind those main things I said. You can always you'll find your own way, but at least these three types of readings, the, the heavy feature with two features at 30 minutes each, the standard feature, five writers at seven minutes each, both with two sets of music, 10 minutes each set, one to open, one to close, and then a monthly recurring of 12 to 15 writers, three minutes each. It can be new shit, it can be stuff that's already been read, you can decide on that. But these three formats you can sort of play with and you can find what works best for you and what you find most interesting. Use those tools to collect bios, headshots, all the information that you're gonna need to keep things organized for yourself, but also for your MC the night of the, the night of the show. And the last part that we haven't talked about is um, paying your paying your writers, right? So this was a point of deep anxiety for me, especially when I was first starting and I hadn't done this before. I didn't know how to, like, how was I going to pay all these people? I, I didn't have a ton of extra money sitting around, but I knew I wanted to start connecting and building. And, and so what I landed on was the donation model to start. Um, we'll go deeper into this in another episode, but basically you can, you can literally have a hat that you pass around. We had a bowler's hat that we used. We passed it around every night. Everyone knew exactly what it was. So every time the MC pulled that out, they knew, okay, donations are coming. And what you want to try to do is create language that works for you, that provides an invitation for people to connect and support. They may be giving $2, they may be giving $10. Regardless, you know, you can sort of compare it to coffee. Coffee is going to be anywhere from three to four bucks, usually maybe more. So really, it's not a ton of money. But what you're looking for is to draw that connection between money as energy 
as giving that energy to readers, to the organizers, to continue the work of putting these readings on. And so the more that you can do to frame the language around the translation of money to energy, right? That money is energy that you're putting into this project. If you've enjoyed this project and you want to support it, one way that you can do that is by supporting financially. And that can be $2, that can be $10, that can be $100, whatever it is you can give. Art is work. Organizing events is work. It's a lot of work. And most of the times it's unpaid. And you have to, you have to start to work with your audience so that you can all collectively understand that you're trying to build this thing together. And in order to build it, you need to pay for the lights, you need to pay your readers, you need to pay your musician. And asking for donations is a great way of, of asking people to be involved in that particular way. Obviously, there's a lot of other ways of supporting, but when you're talking about donations, you wanna frame it as money equals energy equals more of this thing that you just enjoyed or that you are enjoying. So donations is one way. The other is if you're in a position to apply for grants, if you are a 501c3 or you're fiscally sponsored, there are grants out there that can support um, readings and literary programming. So that is an option as well. It's a little more cumbersome, of course, and sometimes there's restrictions around what the reading needs to look like, who needs to participate, um, some of the reports afterwards and some of the materials that they need as a result of the of them giving you the grant monies. So I've experienced grants, you know, in, in sort of both ways. One where it's just, especially during COVID, it was just them giving us money to continue the programming we were already doing. Um, in other instances, it became quite cumbersome and, um, you know, they needed reports and they needed pictures and videos and everything that makes sense to have, right? But the reality is most of us are doing this in our free time. Most of us don't have that much free time. And so adding another layer of things to do um, was not always something that I was personally drawn towards. And I know a lot of other organizers, you know, sort of hem and haw around the hoops that we have to jump through for some for some of these funds which you know to be honest are not that are not that big usually um, the other is if you're in a position to to support people personally of course you know that's probably the the easiest um, if you're in a, a position where you've worked maybe you're retired and you've you're starting a, a reading series find out what you want what you feel is feasible for you as far as supporting your your readers and your musician. I will say that on the donation model, um, some nights the writers would walk away with five bucks, 10 bucks. Sometimes they would walk away with 60. Um, sometimes, especially if we had partnered with larger organizations like museums um, to do the programming for them, we were able to offer writers 500, 1,000, you know, for their their performance. But those are those are pretty rare. So it's really gonna depend on your situation. It's gonna depend on your communities. Um, there's a lot that it depends on. 
but definitely find a way to pay your writers and your musician and hopefully yourself, but definitely your MC as well. Um, and all the people that are helping you put this on, it's not going to be easy at first. Sometimes it's not going to be possible, but as quickly as you can move to where you are paying folks, um, for their time and their energy that they're putting into these things, because it, it is a ton of time and it is a ton of energy. And while people do it because they love it after a while, it's sort of, you know, you have other things that you need to do and the question marks understandably start to come up. And so you want to try to figure that piece out as quickly as possible. All right. So today was all about creating literary readings. Um, next episode, we're going to talk to some event organizers and see what they've been up to, see what they have to suggest. And I'm going to drop some of the links um, to the Google form and the responses in the in the comment section on YouTube. So definitely follow that and subscribe if you can. And much love to all of you. And thank you again for joining uh, the third episode of Public Planter Publishing Podcast. I will talk to you all soon.